Evening guys, welcome to another Wednesday midweek study. Today we are going to be in John chapter 12, as we've been in for the past few weeks. But before we go in, before we do a quick recap, we'll just pray. Father, I just praise you and I thank you uh, for your word. I thank you that we can go through it tonight, that we can uh, read through it, the fact that we can actually see so many different things uh, that you've done, how you've fulfilled prophecy, uh, how you are uh, that sacrificial lamb, that great sacrificial lamb for us. Uh, and Father, as we read through that tonight, that you would impact our hearts and our minds with the reality of that, that you would uh, impact us through your Holy Spirit, speaking to us about different things that you want to work out in our lives, different ways that you want to speak to us. Father, I pray that you would speak through me, uh, through your Holy Spirit, that you would give me the words to say, that you would hold me back from saying things that you don't want me to say, and uh, Father, that you would uh, work in us and through us uh, tonight as we go through your word, in the precious and in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So, as a quick recap, Jesus has just had a meal with his mates, you know, he's been sat down with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, a bunch of his disciples, and they've had a really nice meal together. Then Mary, in the midst of the meal, has then anointed Jesus. She's um, anointed his feet, wiped it then with her hair. Judas got in a little bit of an uproar about that, along with a couple of the other disciples, as we see in some of the other Gospels as well. And then, right after that, we spoke a little bit about how a bunch of people have come to see Jesus, the miracle maker. Then we come right off of this to verse 12, where it says, the next day, so right after all of this, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hail to the King of Israel! So the next day, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. With news spreading, everyone's coming over. They're like, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem! They're coming over, they're coming to greet him. Everyone's in Jerusalem for the same reason that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, for the Passover celebration. They don't quite realise the significance of this Passover. They don't quite realise the significance of Jesus in the Passover. The fact that he's not just, oh yeah, Jesus, you know, he's, you know, a really cool miracle maker. You know, he's, he's, you know, obviously with the Lord. They don't quite realize the significance of it being Passover, the fact that Jesus is going to be that great Passover lamb. They are there for Passover, where they're actually celebrating the Lord's liberation of Israel from Egypt, how he took them out of slavery, remembering how he saved them, and signified his protection through the blood of the lamb that was, in remembrance, killed every year. And we read about that in Exodus 12. So everyone is hauling these lambs, which have lived with the families for a few days now. They're hauling these lambs into Jerusalem. Tons and tons of people are coming in. And when I say tons and tons of people, I mean like imagine crowds and then triple that in your mind. And you just think it is heaving with people, with carrying these lambs on their shoulders. And then you have Jesus. And Jesus is coming in, surrounded by all of these lambs, with all the people carrying these lambs. Jesus is coming in, riding on a donkey. And he's coming in, ready for Passover celebration. Unknown to them, Jesus 
is the greatest Passover lamb to ever come. The one to fulfill the law and to set the world free from sin. They're taking palm branches, they're here, they're saying, Hail to the King! You know, they're saying, Hey, this is the Messiah! This is, they're taking out the palm branches, it's a very um, nationalistic thing, especially since uh, the time that we spoke about uh, several months now um, ago, about a time when there was a revolution with the Maccabees, and they helped to actually set the Jewish people free from a ton of different problems that they were going through at the time. And these palm branches would signifying, hey, this is our victor, this is the one who's going to set us free. They are hailing the king. They behold Jesus as king, their saviour, their messiah. They're quoting Psalm 118 verse 26, which is a messianic psalm. And specifically from verse 25, it says, please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. They are declaring Jesus to be the Messiah, their Savior and King. And we're thinking, praise the Lord, right? They're recognizing that he's the Messiah. Well, they're halfway there. They recognize that he's the Messiah, but they don't quite understand why he's come. They think that he's come to liberate them from Roman rule. Yes, this is Jesus. He's coming. Come on. When are you going to do this? When are you going to take out the Romans? You know, declare you as king. We're ready. We're already declaring you as king here. And they don't quite understand that Jesus has come to save spiritually, not physically, politically, all these things that they're kind of hoping for. They wanted freedom from Roman rule, but Jesus came for something better. He came to give freedom from sin's rule. And they didn't quite understand that he had really come for that. To be honest though, that's a little bit like how we celebrate Jesus at times. We expect Jesus to deliver on our terms. We think, yes, Jesus is going to save from this. And we kind of think, oh, you know, he's going he's gonna to kind of do this and everything. But Jesus doesn't always do things how we necessarily expect on our terms. Like, for instance, if we're tight on money and we ask the Lord, hey, Lord, please provide money. Instead of giving us a bunch of money in our bank accounts all of a sudden, sometimes the Lord will just give us a new job. And we think, oh, okay. Well, I wasn't really expecting that, Lord. But, you know, and sometimes we don't even recognize it being from the Lord because we kind of think, oh, well, the Lord's going to do this. But really opening ourselves up to say, actually, Lord, if I'm asking you for help, then... I'm willing to accept that you might work in different ways than I imagine. Or when we ask the Lord for patience, and instead of the Holy Spirit just supernaturally empowering us with this amazing amount of patience, the Lord gives us a really annoying person who's always around, and we just think, Lord, is, is, this, is this your answer to my prayer for patience? And that's what the Lord does. The Lord will work in ways that sometimes we don't really necessarily expect. I think uh, this past year, I've been asking the Lord to really help me to listen to him and to, for me to then be obedient to him, to say, okay, Lord, I want to hear from you that I may then be obedient. That rather than just saying, oh, is that really you, Lord? But actually saying, you know what, Lord, I've heard from you. I want to be obedient in that. And saying, 
Lord, rather than me just stepping out and trying to solve things because I think, oh, you know, this is a logical thing, instead stopping and saying, Lord, I think I know what I should do, but let me stop, be patient, and trust you, even in the waiting, that this opportunity is not going to pass by, but to say, Lord, that you would lead the way. He put a situation where I needed money then at that point, after I'd prayed about it, and I said, okay, Lord, then I will, I will, uh, I'll do this particular thing that you've put before me if you provide the money, because you know that I don't have the money. If you want me to do it, I need the money to do it. And the Lord provided the money miraculously, and I was like, oh, okay, Lord, cool, cool. And you think, great, you know, the Lord's answering the prayer that way. But he really just wanted me to trust him, to listen to him, and that was really the first step. Then, short, very shortly after that, then the Lord gave me some money and then presented me with another opportunity where, um, you know, I could then use that money that I'd already been given to go and do that thing. And I turned to the Lord and I was like, Lord, I need you to show me what you want me to do. If you want me to use this money for that or, like, if you don't want me to do it, or if you want me to go ahead and do it and not use the money. And the Lord showed me to go ahead and do it and not use the money. And I was like, okay, Lord. And But that was the, the Lord continually training me. Hey, you've asked me to help you with something. I'm going to I'm gonna help you. But it might not be necessarily how you expect. And it might seem a little bit illogical the way that sometimes things might work. But you got to trust me because I know better. Right, Tom? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, that's that's how I need to be thinking. And then another situation, another situation where I continually had to turn to the Lord and say, okay, I have the option to listen and to wait and hear what you have to say and to trust you, or to just go ahead and do because I'm presented with the opportunity and I have the resources to be able to go and fulfill that opportunity. But to instead stop and say, Lord, I've asked for your help in me listening to you that I may then be obedient. And I want to continue on in that. And the Lord continuing to train in that through those different situations that I wasn't necessarily expecting. Situations that you might otherwise be able to look at and be, oh, well, you know, that's just kind of part of the course of life. But realizing, actually, that's part of what the Lord's using to continue to teach and to train and to answer prayer in ways that I didn't necessarily expect. I didn't know how the Lord would answer that prayer but it required that I put down what I thought and trust him with it. I had to trust him to help me. Likewise, we have to trust the Lord at times to work a little bit differently than what we might expect. The people wanted Jesus to be a political savior, but instead, the rest of the world, the entire world, including them, got someone so much better. Rather than a political savior, they got a spiritual savior. Verse 14, continues on, it says, Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many of the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, 
There's nothing we can do. Look! Everyone has gone after him. Jesus fulfills prophecy here. He's riding in on a donkey, which at the time, a whole bunch of people probably were a little bit more of a, Oh, there's Jesus, the Messiah, riding on a, a donkey. Huh, interesting. Okay, fun. Um, not exactly what I expect. I don't know how he's going to defeat the Roman Emperor on a donkey. But okay, interesting. You know what I mean? He is the miracle maker. And that's probably a bunch of people's thoughts at the time. Meanwhile, some other people probably do have more of the idea of, this is the Messiah. He's riding on a donkey. Hey, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. This is, this is the Messiah. He's going to be the conquering king and really taking that to heart. And when we listen to what the Lord has to say before putting our own ideas in there, we'll see the clearer picture of things. Instead of saying, I think this and I want this, and Lord, I'm asking for this, so that means you're going to fulfill it this way. Instead, just saying, actually, Lord, I don't know what you might do. And I have to put my own ideas of what I want you to do behind and just say, Lord, wh what do you want to do? God declared that the Messiah would indeed be the conquering king. And we see that throughout scripture. But he also declared that the Messiah would come as a suffering servant. And we read that countless times. And it's something that you say, wait, this is the Messiah. He's going to be the suffering servant. I thought he was going to be the conquering king. And then everything pieces together. You realize, wait a minute, he's coming as the suffering servant that he can give grace, not just to the Jewish people, but to the rest of the world. That as John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This then is, wait a minute, this is the Messiah coming as the suffering servant. That means he's going to come in the future as the conquering king. And that is who we today can expect and who we can wait for. Jesus, the conquering king, to come and to set the world straight. But right now, in the situation that we're reading, Jesus is coming as the suffering servant. The lamb who takes away the sin of the world the ultimate sacrificial lamb, surrounded by all of these lambs that are actually pointing to him in the entire significance of why they were slain. He's fulfilling prophecy that we read in Zechariah 9, verse 9. That's what we uh, just read there. Speaking specifically that he is humble, riding on a donkey's colt. One who hasn't come on a war horse, one who hasn't come on a proud chariot, but one who has come on a donkey of humility and peace. And that's the character of his coming. Peace and love. The one who has come to give grace to us, even though we don't deserve it. There's a very character of grace. And while everyone was going after him as this miracle-performing Messiah who would deliver them, they didn't quite understand what that deliverance was from. They kind of hoped it would be something, but it really wasn't exactly what they were expecting. There are times when we, too, don't quite understand how Jesus is entering a situation in our lives. When we suddenly see he come into a situation, we don't necessarily quite fully understand how he's going to deal with that situation. I think several years ago, I was in a situation and I, I was asking the Lord, Lord, 
I need you to just deal with this situation. I do not feel like dealing with the situation. I cannot deal with the situation. I am trying to deal with the situation. And Lord, I just need you to get rid of the situation completely. And the Lord speaking to me like, hey, I'm not taking away the situation right now. I want to work in you and through you in the midst of this situation. It wasn't what I expected. It wasn't what I hoped for. It certainly wasn't what I hoped for. But the assurance of the Lord saying, hey, remember, I've told you, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you. You just have to cling to the rock that is immovable, that is unchanging. And in the midst of that situation, as I clung to the Lord, I actually saw the Lord changing me in the midst of the situation rather than changing the situation itself. The situation was still there and I was still calling out to the Lord, but I was calling out to the Lord less saying, Lord, change the situation and more, Lord, please use me in this situation. The Lord was actually changing me in the midst of the situation. And in the midst of changing me, the Lord actually wanted to use that as a tool. That situation that I wanted him to take away, to change, the Lord used that as a tool to help change me and to form me more into who he wants me to be. Sometimes we think that he's going to solve an issue his way. We just think, yeah, he's going to solve this issue, but, you know, I don't know how he's going to do it. He's just going to do it his way. But we may not quite realize that that issue is a tool for his glory and for our betterment. Had Jesus resolved the Roman issue, then us non-Jewish people would be without a savior. He would have come and, you know, he would have, you know, defeated the Romans. But, you know, the sacrificial system would still be going. We wouldn't have the grace that is found in Christ's death upon the cross. The issue that they wanted him to solve was the tool to nail him to the cross, to reveal himself through the issue, showing that his sacrifice is enough. Only his sacrifice is enough. No lamb is ever enough. All these lambs that were surrounding him as he was entering into Jerusalem, all of them put together throughout all of eternity, all of those lambs would never be enough. The only thing that was enough was Christ, the one time, once, for all, his death upon the cross. And that was it. The law shows us that we need a saviour. You look at the law, even the laws of England, you look at them, not a single one of those laws actually saves you from the law. Those laws actually just point to you and say, yep, yeah, don't do this, otherwise this will happen. And that's it. There's no law that actually saves us. And that's all the law is there for. It's to show us, hey, actually, you, you messed up. You know, you, you should do these things, but you didn't do those things, and you messed up. And that's what the law does. It's a mirror to reveal to us who we are. But Christ is the Savior who has come in, who has fulfilled the law himself. That Christ, the blemishless Lamb of God, who then died for us, not to simply cover over sin, but to wash away our sin. And he was God, so he could do it throughout all of eternity. He could do it for each and every single person who has ever lived and will ever live. And often we find the Lord may be using a certain issue we want him to be the saviour of. We can find that actually he wants to use that situation that we want him to come in and be the saviour of. But instead he's saying, no, no, my mission isn't to be the saviour of these little situations in your life. My mission is to be the saviour of your life, not these little things to sort them out for you.
My mission is for you. I love you. I want to sort these things out for you. And I'm actually going to use these situations for my glory and for your good. And that's what the Lord wants to do with us a lot of the time. Instead of do this your way, we can say, Lord, your will be done. I, I don't know how you're going to sort it. And he'll sort it in his timing, either by sorting us out or sorting the issue out. But we can point back to the character of his coming in humility, in peace, as the suffering servant, the one who has come out of love for us, for the glory of God. Remembering then to trust him with every issue, instead of focusing on how he'll solve the issue, we can simply trust him with our issue. Because we know that he actually loves us and that he will sort out us, he'll sort out the issue, however he knows best, because we know he does know best. So then we can sing in our hearts in a corrected heart posture. We can sing the same as these people were saying, praise to the king, because he is king over all, as we read in Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 22, and we'll end with this. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power, for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body that is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. So we'll just pray. Father, I just praise you and I thank you that... I just praise you and I thank you that you're in control, that you are God over all. And Jesus, I thank you that you are our king, that you are our savior, that you came as the suffering servant. One uh, who was... Uh, Maybe not quite what the people expected at the time. Maybe not even quite what was wanted at the time by a lot of people. But Father, I thank you that you do what is best for us, regardless of what we want a lot of the time. And Father, I pray that you would help us to submit to you, to remember your humility, that Christ, you, you came to earth, you lowered yourself in humility, and that we would... Uh, likewise, look to that as our example, knowing, hey, you've humbled yourself far more than we ever could humble ourselves. So, Father, I pray that you would remind us to come before you in humility, to submit our every situation to you, and to trust you with them. To trust you to uh, either sort us out in the midst of an issue, or uh, to sort an issue out uh, in the way that you know best. And, Father, I just... I just ask these things, and I just praise you and I thank you for your word, which is a constant and beautiful reminder to us. I pray that you would help us to continue to grow in love for you and love for our love for your word. And we just pray this in Jesus, in Jesus Christ's precious and mighty name. Amen. God bless you guys.